0: from Psalm 25 verses 4 to 11, Psalm 25, starting at verse 4, make me know thy ways, O Lord, teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth, and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. For thee I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, thy compassion and thy kindnesses, for they have been from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to thy lovingkindness, remember thou me, for thy goodness' sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in justice, and he teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are loving kindness and truth to those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. And in this reading, it is especially the, the verse what is said in verse 9, that uh, bears upon the the text and the sermon for today that the Lord teaches the humble his way you need to be humble in order to learn of that teaching and uh, we read then from Matthew 20 which certainly deals with that matter of humility Matthew 20 I'll read verses 17 through to 28, the text for the sermon, verses 20 to 28. And as Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside by themselves, and on the way he said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and will deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him, and on the third day he will be raised up. Now a text. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him with her sons, bowing down and making a request of him. And he said to her, What do you wish? She said to him, Command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine will sit may sit, one on your right and one on your left. But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you are asking for. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, My cup you shall drink. But to sit on my right and on my left, this is not mine to give. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And hearing this, the ten became indignant with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles are lorded over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Covenant people of God, at the beginning of time, a perfect man and a perfect woman gave themselves over to pride the devil said to them you can be like God and they fell for it and the human race has been falling for it ever since this is the mistake that we also make that we want to be like God very often rather than to be like the Lord Jesus Christ now of course the Lord Jesus Christ is God But he has two natures, he has a divine nature, he also has a human nature. We can never be like that divine nature, we can never be like God, so far as God's incommunicable attributes are concerned, as they are called, those uh, attributes, characteristics of God that are not communicated to his creatures. Uh, such as his eternity, his all-powerful nature, his infinity, the fact that he is all-knowing. We can never be like that, but we can be like the Lord Jesus Christ by God's gracious help. We can be like the Lord Jesus Christ concerning his human nature. And it is God's intention that we should be. The problem with pride is that it tells us that we can be something that we are not. That we can lay hold of that which we can never be, rather than accepting the fact that we, at the end of the day, are just creatures and uh, we need to we accept that limitation and also the what comes with it, the fact that we should be dependent upon God and we should serve and obey him. This is a lesson that we have trouble embracing. Not surprisingly, therefore, the two points that arise out of the text are these. Firstly, that the disciples had this trouble. The disciples have trouble learning a lesson. And then secondly, to follow that up, that the Lord Jesus repeats that lesson. The disciples have trouble learning it, that lesson of humility. And the Lord Jesus, therefore, repeats that lesson to them and also for our benefit. In the first place then, it's probably a symptom of the fact that humility is so terribly hard for us to learn and pride is so often involved in our sinning, it's very often in the background and part of the reason why we do sin. It's probably because of that, that this subject of humility over against pride is such a dominant theme in the teaching of the Lord Jesus and not only in the teaching of the Lord Jesus, but throughout the rest of the Bible as well, Old and New Testament. Again and again, the Old Testament promises God's blessing that he would teach those who are humble and meek. Uh, We read already of that in the psalm, another psalm that makes the same point, Psalm 37, verse 11, God's promised blessing to the humble and meek. And of course, the uh, Beatitudes in Matthew 5 take up that that same teaching of the promise of blessing to those who are humble and meek. In Matthew 18, verses 1 to 4, the Lord taught his disciples that you must humble yourself like a child because that is the kind of person that the kingdom is made of. The kingdom belongs to such as these. Matthew 19, verse 14 as well. In Matthew 19, verse 30, the Lord Jesus taught that many who are first will be last and vice versa. And chapter 20:16 verse 16, again makes a similar point. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Luke 14, verse 11. And we could go on and on with these kind of verses. And not only is that a matter of the Lord's teaching, it was also a matter of the Lord's example and it was his, It characterized his behavior all through in every aspect of his ministry on earth. Think, for example, of his washing of the disciples' feet along with the command that they were to do likewise in the way they treated each other. John 13, verses 5 to 20. And yet, despite all of that, the disciples had trouble laying hold of that truth. And we see that also again and again in the New Testament in the Gospels, the struggle that the apostles and the disciples in general had in practicing this kind of humility and that constant tendency they had to give themselves over to pride. And here we see the trouble that James and John and also their mother had with this. Now, Like uh, many parents, I dare say, uh, the, uh, the wife of Zebedee is quite proud of her two boys, James and John, and so she goes to the Lord Jesus and she falls down before him in a, a worshipful manner and she asks his favour. When he comes in his kingdom, she requests can he give the two best positions, the two best positions of power and authority on the right hand, on the left hand of the Lord Jesus, can he give those two best positions to her two boys, to James and to John? There is uh, some good evidence, and many commentators take it as a given fact, that uh, the wife of Zebedee was an auntie of the Lord Jesus Christ and James and John were his cousins. If that is correct, and it may well be, perhaps she is presuming upon that family relation. It's only right and proper. Blood is thicker than water and all the rest of it. So family should be honoured in this way. Give the positions to my two sons. Or could be because she recognised and they knew that they were in that inner circle. They were two out of the three who were closest of the apostles, closest to the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe it presumes upon that. Not only was this the attitude of the mother, it was also the boys. Uh, They were involved in it. We know that from the parallel in Mark 10, uh, that they came with their mother to make this request Some suggest that maybe they put her up to it, but the text doesn't say that. They came with her to make that request, and uh, therefore we see in verse 22, uh, when the Lord Jesus says, you do not know what you are asking. It is a plural. You, plural, do not know what you are asking. They were in it together. And uh, verse 23, he said to them, to the mother and to the sons. Now, on the one hand... Not, not everything in this request is bad. There is evidence of faith in this request. To all appearances, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to his doom in Jerusalem. But these three apparently accept the promise of Christ as we find it in chapter 19, verses 28 and 29 that the apostles who have followed him are going to be seated in positions of great power and authority on 12 thrones and they are going to judge the 12 tribes of Israel. Apparently the three accept that promise against appearances I might add, they accept the, the word of Christ, the only thing is that out of those 12 thrones they like the best two, the best two for James and John. But on the other hand, as we shall see, there is this positive side of it. But on the other hand, there is also something that is wrong with this. And that is that they are reducing the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ and the nature of his rule to that which is of a worldly kind, to that which characterizes political kingdoms. That's a, a serious problem with their attitude. And this is something that we often find in the life of the church, that Uh, There are those, uh, many of us, who desire to be useful in God's kingdom. We desire to do things in the church. We desire to be useful in God's kingdom, but our motives are mixed. In part it is because we want to be faithful, we want to serve God and give his glory, but there's another part of us that wants to be first and up front, that wants to be seen to be making these contributions and so on. The ease with which humility deserts even the best is seen in the reaction of the other ten apostles. When they hear what's going on they become pretty seriously irritated and the uh, the word that's used here is a word that's also used for the fermentation process, the fermentation of wine, which uh, when that process occurs involves the, the bubbling and escape of gases. These men were seething. They were very, very vexed about what they heard from James and John. And maybe they did so, they reacted that way, because they were the ones who wanted those top positions. Or maybe they had the feeling that uh, we all have to be equal in every sense, and so nobody should be put ahead, or perhaps they thought that if we can't have it, then no one should have those positions, certainly not James and John. Now think about this for a moment. 12 out of 12 apostles, these were the ones specially chosen, these were the ones who were going to be foundational in the life uh, life of the church, 12 out of 12 of them struggled with pride and lost it when they saw others getting ahead of them. And that, brothers and sisters, ought to give us some indication of just how serious and insidious and prevalent a problem this is in the life of God's people. As we might expect, if all of the apostles struggled with this, even those who were closest to the Lord Jesus, uh, not to forget mum either, if that's the case, then we can expect this to be a problem for us, and it is. We see it uh, again and again in the life of the church. We see it in those who love to be up front not simply those who want to serve God by taking prominent positions and that's all there is to it, but those who love to be up the front. They love to be on session, they love to be on committees, they love to have the last word at meetings and so on, and yes, that can be in some cases for the Lord's sake, as I say, but it can also be for other reasons, that desire to push ourselves forward. You see it in the anger that comes when men are thwarted. When uh, men are not put on a duo and they think they should be. When uh, a meeting doesn't go the way that we want. You see it in the envy that we have towards others who do get put forward and who do get what they want, who do get their own way. We see it in the petty disputes in the church where folk also want their own way, and where they are so quickly offended, their their personal dignity so affronted by even the smallest of insults. And we see it in the common refusal to receive teaching, to receive admonition, to receive correction and discipline. Pride is very, very prevalent in the church, and also in our own lives. the response of the Lord Jesus to this problem is to repeat the lesson to underscore the importance of humility and service over against pride and we look at this as our second and final point in responding to this situation the Lord Jesus points out three problems Uh, two of those problems he points out privately to the three James John and their mother And the other one he points out to all 12 as they are gathered there. First problem is one of ignorance. The Lord says to them, to James and John, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? In other words, are they able to accept fully and to endure the cup of suffering that he was about to endure, and to do so for his sake? Are they able to follow that that pattern of suffering that came to the Lord Jesus on the cross and was his pathway to glory and is also our pathway? They say that they are. And again, we might say that that is... uh, commendable in certain respects, it is commendable loyalty to the Lord Jesus, but there is also something wrong with it, and that is that there appears to be here uh, a kind of uh, overconfidence that they can handle any of this in their own strength rather than a dependency upon the Lord. In this case, however, the Lord does know that they will indeed share his cup of suffering, and he tells them that. Uh, James was martyred, Acts 12 verse 2, uh, John was exiled to the Isle of Patmos, Revelation 1 verse 9. In our pride we often think that we can handle the various jobs that abound in the life of the church. We might be terribly confident that uh, we would make such a good elder uh, so much better than all the other elders, uh, so much more sensible and balanced and so on. We might feel that we would make a better deacon, so much better able to care for all those who are in need rather than letting some slip through the cracks. We might think that we would make a better member of the committee of administration than those who are currently on it and so on. We might dream of being useful and prominent and influential and and because of that respected in the church community when everyone sees how well we do our job. At the end of the day, however, the way to glory lies in this, primarily that we share in the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the way that we go when we gain glory by grace. It is via suffering. It is not brought to us, it does not come to us by the quality of our great achievements. That is not the way that we gain glory. And ignorance of that... An ignorance that is par of the course with pride, ignorance of that only sets us up for failure and disillusionment. If you think that you're going to be great in God's church and kingdom, because of what you do, because of your achievements, you are setting yourself up for a fall. Because you see, sin comes into every single activity in which we are engaged, and it also comes into every activity in the life of the church. It's there in everything on the session, on the committee of administration, in all the other committees and groups as well. It is the Christian's calling humbly to oppose that sin and to do so for God's sake, for his glory. That is our calling, and when we engage in that calling, when we oppose sin as we find it in ourselves, when we oppose it first in ourselves, and then as we see it in others and in our church... As we do that, that is a way of struggle and it's a painful thing at times. And always as we carry that job out, because there is sin involved, there is a great limitation on what we would like to achieve. We achieve less than we would like. Our own sin gets in the way. And if if that isn't getting in the way, then it's somebody else's sin that is interfering with what we would like to achieve. And there's such limitation in that because of sin that we will never rise up to, uh, uh, to great glory in the life of God's church by means of our achievements. We can only do so by, by following the Lord Jesus Christ through the pathway that has been ordained for us, glory that comes via suffering and comes in dependence upon God and his grace. Second problem with the brothers request is the problem or a problem with I should say not of but a problem with predestination. The Lord says that the issue of who will sit at either side of his throne is already predestined by the Father. It has been prepared and it still is. And it's not up to the son of God says the Lord Jesus. It's not up to him to alter that even if it could be altered. Because his purpose in coming unto earth was not to dictate terms to the Father and say, oh, I don't care if you're predestined or not, this is what I'd like done, please go and do so. It was not his purpose to do that. It was his purpose to serve and to obey his Father in all things. That is what he came to do. Now, of course, all things in life are predestined. We can still pray about those things, we can still make requests to God, even about things that are predestined but where we don't know what the final outcome is because it lies in the secret will of God. We can pray about such things and make our requests so long as when we do so, we do it with a DV attitude. Those, uh, what Calvin calls those doubtful prayers, when we stepped away from the promises, the clear promises of God in the scripture, and we're praying uh, uh, in areas where the waters are very deep and we don't know, we don't know what uh, God has willed. Uh, we can do that, we can pray those kind of prayers God willing. And you see in their pride, James and John and their mother forgot the DV. And they treated the Lord Jesus instead like some kind of earthly ruler, a despot, the kind of king who can arbitrarily uh, distribute his favours on whim just by snapping his fingers. Uh, A kind of rule that involves despotism and tyranny rather than service. For us too, one of the tendencies that comes with our pride is that we desire things for ourselves or we resent things that we see in others, irrespective of what God has predestined. Pride makes us forget the will of God, both his secret and his revealed will. And simply to want things because we feel we're worth it and we deserve it. And it doesn't matter to us what God has decreed. And it doesn't matter the reasons why he has decreed those things. The spiritual reasons that are for his glory and ultimately for our good. No, forget that. We just want what we want. And we act that way rather than cultivating an utter dependency on the will of God in all things. Third and final problem is what we might call a confusion of role models. Gentiles versus Jesus, that's the uh, choice here of role models. Not only James and John but the other ten as well are acting as if they take their lead from the Gentile rulers and their political kingdoms rather than from Christ and his spiritual kingdom. The Gentile rulers of the day says the Lord Jesus, lord it over and exercise authority over their people. And uh, both of those Greek words that are used here have enclosed in them a smaller, smaller Greek word that means down. And so the idea here is that these Gentile leaders, these rulers, they lord it down and they exercise authority down over their people. In other words, they regard themselves as superior and they put their people down. In other words, they oppress their people. That is what characterizes the Gentile rulers. Most Gentile states, until the last few centuries... And many today, if you look at the, uh, the developing world as well, many today have been ruled by tyrants. That is still, as I say, in some parts of the world the case. In fact, many philosophers over the centuries, uh, especially since the time of the Renaissance, uh, many philosophers have, act- have actually argued that this is necessary because people are stupid and uh, people are uh, selfish and therefore they need somebody who is a tyrant to rule them because he's the only one who can keep them in control. They need somebody, the ideal ruler according to some, uh, most uh, notably the political theorist uh, Machiavelli, the Italian... Uh, writer, he writes that um, the ideal prince, the ideal ruler is someone who is ruthless and shrewd and can use propaganda and force to fool the people that he's serving them while he's actually serving himself. That's the ideal according to Machiavelli. That's where non-Christian thought leads. When you take uh, the Bible away as a foundation for politics and for all we do in all of life, that is what you're left with. And that has been the way it is. In ancient Greece, at the time these words, and up until the time these words were written, in ancient Greece, those rare occasions when they actually tried to practice democracy, it was a dismal failure. The world was ruled by tyrants. And even in our so-called modern democracies, like the democracy of New Zealand, even there, governments lorded over the people, and we've seen so many examples of that. They claim to be practising democracy, but they don't listen to God's commands and what that requires of God's people and indeed of all. They don't even listen to the wishes of their own people, even when it's 80 or 90% of the people who want a certain thing. Think of the uh, homosexual law reform some years ago or the anti-smacking legislation more recently. That is what characterises the Gentile world, but the Lord says to his disciples, it is not to be that way amongst you. It is not to characterise us. It is not to characterise the church. We are not to follow the Gentile model of power and the Gentile model of greatness. On the contrary, the one who wishes to become great must become a servant. And here we can put in a word for the deacons because literally that says that the one who wishes to become great must become a deacon. And also the one who wishes to become great uh, must become a slave. Uh, A deacon, one who serves, one who ministers, one who waits upon others, a slave, one who is bound to his master and to his master's will. That is what is to characterize God's kingdom and us. A servant, a slave of God, our master, and a servant, a deacon, and a slave of God's other servants and slaves. That is the way of Christ's kingdom. It is a way of self-giving. It is a way of service. It is a way of love and of faith, all for God's glory. And that combination requires humility. The role model for this is not the world's, any of the world's political leaders. It's hard to think of one of them who has been known for humility, one who has uh, had uh, any uh, kind of uh, name at any rate to or lasted long. It's hard to think of any who have been known for their humility. But um role model in this is the Lord Jesus Christ. When verse 28 says, just as the Son of Man, what it means is that we in in, in the church and in God's kingdom, we are to be just as the Son of Man. And the language here, when it talks about the Son of Man coming, or not coming as the case may be, uh, the Son of Man language is borrowed from Daniel's vision, the book of Daniel, that vision of the Son of Man coming in all of his glory. But the irony here is that in his coming and his glory it was not a coming in the first place to be served by slaves and servants. In the first place it was a coming to serve. And the Lord Jesus did so by giving his life, we read, as a ransom for many. Uh, The word ransom means a price that is paid to free slaves. And the language probably is taken up from Isaiah 53, verse 11. The Lord Jesus took our place on the cross. He suffered hell for us and he did so in order to set us free from the power and the guilt of Satan and sin and to set us free from death. And that is his diaconal service. That is his work as a servant and there has been nothing like it. There has been no service like that either from king or from peasant in all of the world's history. We are told this as motivation, the motivation is one of gratitude, Motivation that we should imitate, that we should follow this model, the model of the suffering servant, rather than the model of Gentile lordship. Indeed, the humility that marked the Lord Jesus becomes one of the major criteria for distinguishing citizens of his kingdom. The criterion for distinguishing the citizens, for ranking them, is not the sort of distinction that you get within the worldly kingdoms. Where a great politician or a great man may be one who wields great power and authority, who has all sorts of great and impressive achievements, Uh, That kind of model is not the one that distinguishes people in God's kingdom, but rather they are distinguished by the kind of humility and service for God's glory that we see in the suffering servant. And therefore those who will be closest to him, on the left and on the right, they will be the ones who are most marked by that kind of humility and service. In fact, everybody in his kingdom must be and will be marked by his service. All of us must be marked by being recipients of his diaconal service, ransoming the many, ransoming us. We must be marked by that or we won't be in his kingdom at all. And for those who have been marked by having received his diaconal service, They will, by definition, also be those who follow through and reflect and imitate that by our self-giving and our humility. All in his kingdom must be marked by these things, but those who will sit on the right and left will be those who are most marked by these kind of things. Which of the two models then is yours in your personal life? and in your church life, uh, we can call it the Helen Clark model or the suffering servant model. Which one is your model and how can you tell? Well with respect to our master and how we deal with him, our God, are you consciously seeking to trust and to obey God in Jesus Christ or do you find you keep holding on to your own will? In order to set aside your own will and to trust and obey the Master, there must be humility. Are you seeking to do everything that you do in your home life, in your church life, at work, in your studies, whatever it is that you do, are you seeking to do it for His glory or have you become focused on just doing it to get ahead for yourself? Just doing it to provide for your family and to live your life out, or is it done for His glory? This also requires humility. Do you submit to His instruction and to His admonition and His discipline, or do you find you keep digging in your heels? And with respect to your fellow servants as well, who comes first, them or you? Who must give way when it's a question of rights? And we all like to think about that and talk about that. Our rights also in the life of the church. We see that in the life of the church we feel that we have certain rights. Whose rights come first? Whose privileges come first? Yours or your fellow servants? If it's a clash of personal opinions, what we so easily love to pass off as conscience Uh, If it's a clash of our opinions, whose have the final say? Yours or theirs? Of whom do you think most highly? Who Who is the most deserving for preferment in the church? You or them? And when you are put in a position to serve God in some area, when they are put in a position to serve God in some area you coveted, Do you suffer from envy or do you find you're able to thank God that they have been able to give him glory in the way that they are? Who is your role model, Gentile or Jesus? Amen. Let us pray. (coughs) Heavenly Father, will you increase our sense that we are completely dependent upon you, will you make us more like children in that respect? Father, enable us to submit willingly to your will and to put you and your kingdom and your righteousness first. Father, help us also to be humble in our relationships with each other, putting the welfare of others ahead of our own self-interest, thinking the best and especially so of our brethren. And Father, in this way, would you help us to be like the suffering servant who gave himself as a ransom for us. We pray it in his name. Amen. In number